0: Welcome to Episode 301 with my guest, Jamie Varon. Today's episode is brought to you by Madison Reed. Madison Reed is a salon-quality hair color with an authentic personal touch. Madison Reed brings the prestige, pampered salon experience to the time-saving, money-saving convenience of your home. With 100% gray coverage and the support of Madison Reed expert colorists who will guide you every step of the way, you can color with total confidence. Try it, love it, satisfaction and happiness guaranteed. That's the beauty of Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with offer code HAPPY. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. Uh, It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there, check it out, fill out a survey. Maybe we'll read your survey on the air. Uh, Browse the forum, read blogs, guest blogs, buy a coffee mug, t-shirt, all kinds of stuff you can do there at the website. You can support the show financially. You can shop at Amazon through our search portal. We get a couple of nickels. I want to also remind you, guys, uh, I'm going to be at the In This Together Festival, uh, November 13th at the Avalon in Hollywood, and um, it's a really, really cool mental health festival, um, and I'm going to be recording uh, former NBA player Royce White at uh, 4 o'clock, and then there's going to be stand-up comedy by Beth Stelling, uh, the show Mortified's going to be doing a live show, and then music starts at 7 o'clock, and uh, Deacon Sue and Kimya Dawson. Uh, of the Moldy Peaches uh, will be uh, performing, and Daniel Johnston will be performing uh, as well. Um, So to find out more about it, go to uh, ittfest.com, and uh, you can get tickets and learn more about it. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, Let's see I want to do. Oh another another website for that is um in dot com I'll have links on our website so uh before I read these these um struggles in a sentence, uh, I want to thank those of you who uh offered so much uh emotional support in light of uh the stance I took on uh, how sexual assault is being talked about in the media and among people. Um, A real, real outpouring of um, emotional support and uh, some of you stepped forward with some financial support as well. And it means the world to me. Um, That being said, also got some very angry emails uh, from people. And um, a couple of them had a little kernel of truth that I explore in this upcoming episode. Um, So, I don't agree with the tone in which some of these people took exception, but a couple of them, I thought, had a valid point and uh, opened my mind uh, a little bit to broadening the conversation. All right. Uh, This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by Elle Horn, and uh, she writes about her depression. It feels like emptiness and exhaustion. About her anxiety, everything is wrong, also lots of doom. Chumbucket69 writes about their depression, atypical depression. If someone ever criticizes me, no matter how small the criticism, I feel like packing my bags and moving to some remote location where I can never be found. I think I I did comedy in all of those places, so if you have any questions about where to move to, uh, I can tell you. Uh, about their anxiety, not going to class because I'm afraid my teacher will ask me why I wasn't there last class. Thank you for that. Perpetual Shitstorm writes about her ADD, like my brain is a snow globe possessed by a hyperactive three-year-old. Oh my God, that is so good. It is so good. Um, and then uh, Monster Brains write, uh, writes about her dermatillomania being sunburnt is the greatest gift from heaven as i get to peel off all that dead skin i fear that i'm inadequate I fear that i'm inadequate so recently i've been punching myself a lot sometimes i feel like my full-time job mental illness is convincing myself i'm so alone why hyper i should try to do something
1: i hate my kids seeing me like that i just imagine killing people i woke up
0: with rats in my hair they warp reality am i losing myself or am i becoming myself i go back to bed hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house
1: i was able to get myself out of
0: scientology put a gun to my mother's head and i was 11 years old and you're just garbage
1: moving from one person's house to the next
0: person's house and you just hope they don't throw you
1: out like garbage
0: you know so I planned my suicide because you won't ask for help
1: I'm asking for help I'm not pretending everything's okay I'm not trying to do it alone
0: I'm really happy that I did it because a lot of good things have happened since then that that option just evaporated and I'm I'm not going to kill myself I don't think I have what the woman who is not right for me anyway (laughs) wants (laughs) I'm here with Jamie Varon who is a uh, she's a writer you're a, a designer Uh, Graphic designer? Is that what you mean? Graphic
1: and web designer. Okay. Writer.
0: I can't remember how I stumbled across um, you. I think I read one of your tweets on Twitter, saw that you lived in Los Angeles, and your tweet, um, you can probably say it better than I can, but it was the one, uh, 50% of me wants to have, I guess I'll I'll just do it, 50% of me wants to have a house, a garden, and a puppy. The other half of me wants to sell everything I have and become a nomad.
1: Yeah, that about sums up my entire existence.
0: And I related so deeply to that, (laughs) I thought, I bet this person would be a good guest. We don't have any mutual friends that I know of. I'm sure we do. (laughs) But um, every once in a while, I'll stumble across uh, somebody and uh, something a little spidey sense in me says should record this person, so we've been trying to make this happen for a couple of months we're finally able to sit down and uh, as I was doing a little bit of research um, and reading some more of your tweets before before we recorded um, I got more of a feel for who you are what's important to you um, you uh, consider yourself to be uh, a feminist uh, you struggle with what you call your own internalized misogyny uh you wrote a beautiful piece in the huffington post about it and as i was sharing with jamie before we started recording literally 15 minutes before i had headed over here i was looking through my emails and i got this email that um was pretty intense and it is around the subject of sexual assaults and um a little controversy that's been created uh, among the listeners two weeks ago, I felt compelled to speak um, my mind about uh, the audio of Donald Trump uh, on the bus and how people are calling it locker room talk. I took exception to that. I felt I said it in a way that was um, even handed, wasn't exaggerated, uh, got a few Emails from people that took exception to it. I, I read one of them last week on the podcast, um, and it was somebody who was saying, you know, nice job, Paul. Um, your your bias has ruined the podcast for me. I found you talking about Donald Trump offensive. I responded to that by saying what I find is offensive. What I find offensive is people still willing to support somebody who finds sexual assault um, funny uh, and I also noted that some people had been canceling their monthly subscriptions. And I said, you know what? I would rather have less money in the bank and a clear conscience. Um, and I got another email from somebody who took exception to, to last week's thing. And then this one, right before I came over here, and a little voice in my brain, and I'm sorry I'm talking, so you will get a chance to talk, Jamie. Um, a little voice in my head said, um maybe that this was meant to happen and you should read this email to Jamie and let that start a discussion about feminism, this political race my bias or lack of bias in this thing um I'm not sure where it's going to go but I don't want this to become a conservative versus liberal, Democrat versus Republican. Um, And by the way, um, I I am not voting for any of the candidates um, because I don't like any of them. And my friend and I, my friend Chris and I have decided to write each other in. Uh, We have a bet (laughs) or uh, an agreement that we're going to write each other in uh, as candidates. Okay. All that being said. This is from Denise, and she writes, Paul, I've listened for three years. What a sad, scared man you've become. All you're demonstrating with your sustained anti-Trump rants is that liberalism is truly a mental illness. How in the fuck can you talk about sexual assault in presidential politics and fail to mention the Clintons? Bill is the poster child for sexual predators uh, and sexual predators in politics, and Hillary did everything she could to destroy every woman he fondled, raped, and abused. So now in the face of criticism, you're painting yourself as a tough guy hero for, quote, taking a stand. Oh, please. In reality, you don't even have the balls to balance the discussion. If you truly cared about sexual abuse in presidential politics, you'd be talking Clintons, but not a word. That's because it's about politics disguised as sexual assault. Pathetic. Buck up and start talking about both sides of the issue or shut the fuck up. You're embarrassing yourself with your juvenile one-sided diatribes. Denise. P.S. Show me you're a, quote, real tough guy and read this entire email on the air. But, of course, you don't have the balls. You know it and I know it. Your bias makes you a little man. I'm so disappointed in the direction you've taken the show. Thoughts? Um.
1: Well... The first thing is really interesting that this election has also shown us that we have this, like men need to be men. You know, she's talking about real man, be a real man. That's weird. I, I feel like we can allow people to just be people. This is, we've sort of like on both sides devolved to these like very small identities of who we are Mm -hmm. and If I'm being really honest, at this point, even with something like this, the first thing it made me feel was, as a woman, I'm tired of being a fucking pawn in this election. Like, I, I, it was triggering for me. I didn't love what Trump said. I would never vote for him. But at the same time, I can understand the point that we are sort of neglecting the fact that, like... Bill does ha- not have a clean record
0: as well and I think that's an understatement. I think he's a predator. Um and and there and I and I'm going to take uh, as much as I at this moment uh dislike Denise's tone uh and uh, I I'm going to let ha- her have her moment of of anger. The reason I didn't talk about it is because I felt that there was a difference between somebody being the wife of somebody who's a predator and somebody who is bragging about being a predator. She uh, apparently has made life difficult for uh, women who accused him uh, of this. You know, when four or five women come forward, I think we all know that it's... Something is happening. Something is happening. Um, So I don't have any doubt that he did... Uh, some of the things that he is he is accused of doing. Um, so let me ask you, why is it OK for her to get a pass and Donald Trump not to
1: Hillary to get yeah. a pass?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, first, I think that in any any politician you do have to take the good with the bad and there's usually especially now there's so much bad it's it's sick but the pro- the thing is is that
0: in all candidates yeah yeah
1: it, i mean even the ones who are supposedly you know the second coming they still have lots of skeletons in their closet they still I mean, I wanted Bernie, but, like, I still knew it was going to be hard for Bernie to do Bernie Mm -hmm. in the political situation that we have. But anyway, I think, first of all, it is very important that Hillary is not Bill. I mean, that's just, that's the truth. And Okay,
0: I'm being devil's advocate, but isn't she enabling him by staying with him and um, on his behalf? uh working to delegitimize uh these uh, women's objections uh saying things uh about them I don't believe they were in public but I believe there is a recording of her mocking uh one of them something like that I could be I could be wrong
1: There's a well so the problem with that is Hillary's involvement is so largely speculation whereas we actually have I mean these these little videos they sort of like they're not even really videos. They're just like little transcripts that it's very hard to ever know what was really going on. You can remove context. Whereas with Trump, there's no context to remove. We're seeing some, we're listening to something in raw format. And so with Hillary, my, so my thing with Hillary is that, okay, um, before all of this, even though it, Bill did all of this, he's still he was still and continues to be a beloved president with a very high approval rating,
0: and N- not by me. I think I, he was a terrible president. Well, right, yes. but like
1: public opinion yes. wise, people would be like, even Republicans would say, "But I liked Bill," mm-hmm. even though he was like they, they wanted him impeached. So it's like this weird kind of. I, I think that in politics. It, there's, I don't know, it's, I don't know, it's it's this weird thing where, like, she, I don't think she would have ever had a chance to be president if she had divorced Bill, and yet now she's being skewed for not divorcing Bill, and yet would we have ever, ever elected a female president that wasn't married? I don't even know that we've, in recent history, elected a male president that wasn't married. So, like, there's there's these weird other politics at play that would have been the focus had she done something about it. Then it would have been she doesn't get the religious vote. And then she, like, there's all these other politics at play where I also can understand as a woman, you're like, well, fuck you. Your actions are not going to derail the career that I've spent 40 plus years building.
0: But did she need... To be as vehement and shaming to oh, these women, I know is is is. Uh, so why still why still vote for her if she has done those things? Why is she getting uh, a pass? And again, this is I, I don't I don't know where the truth is in this, and I, I want to be a an unbiased. And this is why I until two episodes ago have avoided politics, but it has, it's inserted itself into the national conversation. And I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't tackle this and I'm sweating now, just even (laughs) thinking of the emails I'm going to get and afraid that this is never going to go away and I'm ruining the podcast. But there's a voice inside me that is saying, you have to talk about this. You have to talk about this. Forget about the popularity of the podcast or people liking or disliking you for this. It is it is such a complicated topic. Where, where does responsibility for sexual assault end? Does it begin and end with the predator? Well, the very notion of w- when I spoke about the Trump thing was m- my problem was that people were still supporting him.
1: What I do know is that a lot of the things that are supposedly against Hillary, and I'm not saying I am like 100% just like delusional behind Hillary. I She has so many skeletons, so many scandals um, with Hillary and any responsibility that she bears. I do not think it's as easy of an answer as well, she's his wife, so she, he, Bill's not running for president. I don't believe that. They, like, they're running as a team, mm-hmm. as w- husbands and wives tend to do. Um, and so they can't be completely divorced from the situation, but at the same time, like Trump's actions, are they're verifiable. They're mm-hmm. actually verifiable. To me, it's, it's not even the women that have come forward. All right, like that's fine, but and I'm glad that they're coming forward if they feel compelled to, but the video is the video,
0: whereas it stands we, on its own
1: i and I honestly what is weird to me is that. I had this thought, I was like, are people watching too much Scandal and House of Cards that they're like, they think the whole media, like including us, we're the media, just colluding. There's some sort of like secret media Illuminati.
0: I can't even get my friends to come to lunch on the day they're supposed to.
1: I don't know what's going on. There's this conspiracy that there's all this evidence that's being hidden and it's all like underground and okay. We're not the Underwoods. This is not House of Cards. Like, it's not that smart of a system to me. I'm like, this isn't that hidden. And so I, I, well, and honestly, at this point, if it's my personal opinion, Trump already lost my vote way before. He never had it. The tape was, that was honestly not the most offensive thing to me. Really? I'm, I've... I Okay, so my husband's Muslim. Mm -hmm. He's from Tunisia.
0: I didn't know you were a terrorist.
1: Yes, right? (laughs) And so is my husband, you know? I mean, we were uh, on our... uh, While Trump was saying all this stuff about the Muslim ban, he's waiting for his 10-year green card. To me, that...
0: That had been terrifying.
1: It was terrifying. I mean, having to... I brought my husband to this country before it was... Over three years ago, it was not as crazy of a climate for Muslim people, and um, I brought him here out of love. (laughs) And then now he's in this, and he's a pawn and being um, insulted. His where it's his culture. It's not it's his religion, but it's his culture in Tunisia, and it's being attacked and. He's saying he's going to ban everyone and deport them. And to me, that was the beginning of what is he doing? Mm-hmm. And the tape, I honestly, I was like, this is horrible. But I- also, I, I why is this the only thing that be, that is like becoming because to me I'm like Hillary's never said anything like that well, about Muslims or
0: you i know. I agree that uh it is horrifying what he said uh about Muslims um about uh Mexicans I think what notched it up a level for me was him a, a, Admitting that he has grabbed women by their vaginas and he finds it funny yes. that he can get away with it because he's a star. If he had, if he had said, "I push Muslims. I actively don't hire them," I would have found that as, as alarming as this other thing. I always saw it as him whipping up his base because yeah. he seems to be somebody who uh, changes with whatever he thinks will bring him more attention and more right. power. Now uh i would also like to say uh, uh about hillary i th- i i find her to be incredibly dishonest i don't um uh I, I believe that she is in the pocket of of big business and um and and i don't th- i think she is a, a, a career politician i think she is more of the same but i don't consider her to be and that's why i'm not voting for her i don't as much as i would love to vote for our first uh female president. I don't consider her to be in the league of dangerous uh that I consider him to be. And that is why I chose to talk just about the sexual part of it. Plus, that is the only thing that is relevant to this podcast right now. Yes. Uh, if there was a debate about mental illness between the two of them, I would probably talk about that on this podcast but sexual assault is such an integral part of so many people's um issues that's why i felt compelled to talk about it i don't know if we have gained any ground if we you and i uh, talking about this i don't know if this was a mistake i'm still sweating (laughs) i just want people to like me uh, well, I
1: think that uh, just one last thing, I think the thing with the tape, what I guess my my worry, which it came completely true, was that if everyone on the liberal side is going to skew this tape, everything's going to get brought up about Bill, which it did. And it almost feels like it just cancels it out. And I was like, this is where this election has become, like, just sad. Just so sad. Really sad. On every level. Yeah. Because it's, it's,
0: it's like... L- it's like a big mirror. Yeah. Like, of just, this is who you've become, America.
1: Yeah, this is where we are. No, I didn't know we were so far away from...
0: I don't think we any of us did. That I had a moment watching the second debate when it really just escalated into a petty name calling where I oh. felt my stomach drop similar to how it dropped when I watched the the twin towers uh, come down. And I know that sounds dramatic, but that's what I felt. I felt that like, Oh my God, I fear for the safety of our country. Yeah. Um,
1: I think we, so many do on every side, you know, I, yeah. um, I get it. I get how um, I mean, even I call I've called myself a feminist. I'm a hipster feminist. I've called myself a feminist before feminism was cool at all. Like it was so not cool when I was young. People were like, how old are you? By the way, I'm 31. Okay. So like I was 10 years old at a restaurant telling my dad not to say something about how the waitress looks. Not cool. At that age, to like call your dad out and be like, "Hey, Dad, maybe don't talk about the waitress and like nudge my older brother about how hot she is in front of me."
0: I, I would, I would agree with ten-year-old you. I I, know. Think, I think that's not a cool thing to do in front of your kids.
1: Agreed, but it was. It didn't get received well.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. So
1: that. it was like. Jamie, you're so sensitive, and you're so this, and um, it's really interesting how feminism. It's awesome that feminism has kind of come into like more of a mainstream conversation, but yeah. i I also think that it's become a little bit of an echo chamber. Um, a little bit of maybe we're all just not listening to other mm-hmm. things. Yeah. We don't like it, it's. It's almost become a little too much, like. We're gonna police the world, mm. and um, that's upsetting to me. Yeah. I don't like that. Um, I've sort of
0: that you're talking about the Uber PC side of uh,
1: kind, not really. I mean, sort of, but it's it's a lot of lack of nuance to me. Yeah. Where um, I'm more interested in people's intention, and I can tell intention. And I, you know, I get comments and things like that where. It's a mansplaining or something. And I just, I don't know. I kind of let it go because I don't know. I don't, I'm going to get skewed for this probably, but that's the worry. It's like having a conversation like this. I'm worried someone's going to call me out for like having an opinion that differs from the collective Mm -hmm. opinion.
0: Yeah. Well, Denise, if you're worried that you hurt my feelings, um, you didn't, um, I was just a little alarmed by the intensity of, of what you wrote, and um, uh, while, I, while I don't agree with the style in which you introduced <laughs> your uh, topic, uh, I hope ultimately it was fruitful uh, for Jamie and I to talk about it, and hopefully in a way that was even-handed. Let's get to your story, Jamie. Okay. So I'm really sorry uh, that uh, I've just been Stop apologizing, Paul. We're good. What this are, is
1: probably the last conversation I'm going to have about politics, though. Okay. I'm very not. That was fine. I thought that that was very even. But yeah, I'm tired.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm tired, too. Yes. Deep breath. You were nervous before we started rolling. Are you still nervous? Or were you not nervous?
1: I wasn't. nervous. Oh, you were
0: just talking about your everyday anxiety before we started rolling.
1: My everyday anxiety. Talk about that. I always thought I was very chill. It's funny. I have this image in my mind of this free spirit and I'm chill. Only to really understand and find out that um, my chillness takes a lot of work and is mostly not there. I definitely... um, I mean, my, my brain is a battlefield all the time. It's constantly um against me and wants to basically attack everything good in my life it's almost like i've i've recognized that the more it attacks the more i'm like well that's the good thing the more it likes the thing i'm like well that's the shit thing don't do that
0: um and do you, and do you kid yourself that that mean part of your brain is you being disciplined
1: oh yeah it sounds like that's me finally getting it together like
0: this is a good marine I've got in my yes. head
1: yeah. I, I call myself the the thing in my brain is my drill sergeant Yeah, and um, it's awful to be honest and um, I come from a family of people who they're lovely I love them so much but um, this is not stuff we talk about um, at all it's like it's supposed to be fun at family functions you have fun, even though there's... And I'm the most sensitive person in my family. And my parents divorced when I was two. And then my mom remarried. Um, and my stepdad had very, very bad anger problems where my real dad did not. And I was caught in all the crosshairs of everything because I felt everything. You
0: took on everybody's emotions.
1: Everybody's. To a point where I... um. I, I think that I started actually expressing emotion when I was 25 years old, 26. I didn't cry. Ever. I never showed weakness. I mean, it still happens.
0: How, how did you cope with stuff and all that stuff?
1: Achievement. I just kept going.
0: Total perfectionist.
1: Total perfectionist. And uh, I was the one in the family. Jamie's the one. She's going to do it for everyone. Um, good grades. Was there a I pa- was going to go to college.
0: Was there a part of that that was soothing to you when you would achieve something? Would that calm things?
1: Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm, I, if I'm good enough, then I'm okay. okay. And uh, I mean, I have a drive for sure. It's not all like based in some sort of coping mechanism. So which is why I think it gets kind of twisted all together, because I do have an ambition and a drive and I always have. But then I also feel like it becomes this thing that is my only worth. um, Because I'm good at things. I'm not good at emotions, but I'm good at things. I can teach myself things very easily. I'm very self-sufficient. I'm
0: good at doing. I'm not good at being. Yes,
1: I'm not good at being. Um, I'm trying, though, and I try very hard to be good at being, which is counter to what it should be, but...
0: Our culture tells us that it's lazy. Oh, yeah. Just being is lazy.
1: I have that in my mind especially because uh, no one on the podcast can see this, but I I have um, excess weight. And so on top of that, if I'm lazy and not achieving and I'm fat, it's like, that's the worst. So I have to be double like productive and amazing and perfect and never show weakness. And because I'm not gonna be the sad lazy fat girl that every you know people expect me to be
0: the best friend in the movie yeah
1: I'm the star (laughs) of my own fucking life and I told myself that ever since I was young I mean I have a strong will a really strong will uh, which has kept me okay but um I have invited a lot more softness into my life how'd you do that um Well, part of it was meeting my husband, who he, uh, we met in Paris, and I was out there just doing, I decided to take a one-way ticket. I was doing web design, and I went, and he was there um, after basically, like, fleeing his country, took a boat, um, almost died, and, like, so we came together on very different life circumstances. And um I don't know why but he didn't even speak English but he just within a day we were like in love. And I was the most guarded, protected person th- that c- could ever be. I never wanted to be with anybody.
0: What, what what do you think happened? With him? Yeah. Why why all of a sudden?
1: It was the weirdest thing ever. I was it was like I was having an out of body experience. I was like, "Why do I feel so comfortable with this person? I've never felt that comfortable with anyone in my entire life. Why do I just think he's got me?"
0: Give me, give me some just little snapshot moments of your uh, romance with him or getting to know him that exemplify that comfort. You know, where it would contrast with previous.
1: Okay. Um. Super personal, but let's just go there. Um. Always had insecurities about my weight. Uh, always scared about showing my body. Wouldn't sleep with a guy unless I was drunk. Never in the light of day. Um, first week that Sam and I t- are together, take a shower in the middle of the day with him and feel no fear, nothing. I was just like, this is normal. He, I could like feel that there was no he like saw something beyond me, and I saw something beyond him. It was just like, it was a very weird experience. That like, honestly, it felt divine intervention, it must have sort been of amazing. thing. Amazing. It was crazy. It was the craziest experience ever. Because I, I am so analytical, and I was like, I don't compute this. Like my robot <laughs> brain that wants to understand things is like, under why is the logic gone? Do
0: you, do you think? there was a a part of your brain that said he wasn't raised in our culture. He might be safe.
1: Yes. 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 I was like, I knew American men had hurt me. I had been sexually abused.
0: as a a child, as a a child,
1: five years old by a babysitter, 15 year old babysitter. Um,
0: I'm sorry. Thought
1: he was my friend. Thought he, you know, yeah, I'm sorry too for my five-year-old self who was very confused and ashamed. And um, on top of that, had, I love my dad, but very, has some sexist notions, very much believes women need to look a certain way and praised me. Uh, for how I looked quite a bit. Um, My mom, very, very interested in how she looks, makeup artist. Um, And anyway, uh, so I had been hurt by American men, and I didn't trust them at all. And it's um, then I went to Europe and was like, there's something different here. Something is happening here that's different. There's an appreciation of women that... Is not as sexualized or not as um,
0: dysfunctional as so clearly you didn't go to Italy,
1: uh, but I did go to Italy. <laughs> no, I so I was in Italy for because three-
0: I've heard horror stories no, from the- women about Italy it's being grabbed and whistled yes. at and and
1: in Italy it's weird because.
0: Italy, save your emails to me. I am I am enduring all the criticism I can take. By the way, one of my favorite places to go to, um, Florence, a, might be my favorite city.
1: It's an amazing place. I was in Rome for three months, and I have to say, I did not feel that the attention and um, was the same as in America. Maybe that was a naivete. I was caught up in the romance, but i um I felt it was more appreciation mm-hmm. than it was power, I mean, like I said, I had five years old, I'm being overpowered. I wanted none of that. I wanted no power dynamics in my relationships. I mean, I was even so power dynamic, don't want it, don't want power over me that like most of the guys that I made out with in college were. <laughs> Like gay, gay men loved me. They wanted to make out with me. They wanted to have sex with me. I was like, "This is confusing."
0: And they knew, and they knew that they were, yeah. they were gay openly, or, or they were just. Uh, uh, there was part of them that that was into women, and I you mean, maybe say,
1: they were bisexual. But I guess it
0: doesn't matter. Why am I? Why am I trying to make this binary? That's such a horrible thing to do.
1: But I mean, they were they identified themselves as gay, I see. and so anyway, it's interesting the power that it felt like an even playing field.
0: Mm. Whereas, um, was it hot for you to, to be making out with a guy where that you finally felt safe
1: with? Yeah. Yeah. I felt, um, yeah, I never felt safe with any, um, there was always some sort of, they're going to do something. They're not, they're not, they're, they're going to leave me or they're going to, um, I just couldn't trust anybody.
0: Did you ever tell your parents about what happened? Yes. How did they handle it?
1: Um, first, and, and when did you tell them? When I, I remember exactly where I was. I was at a Burger King with my mom.
0: Burger Kings are the best place to disclose.
1: <laughs> yes. Is, and it was random because my mom never let me have fast food. She was very concerned about my weight. Um, and I was 12 years old and I told her, And at first she said, are you sure that wasn't just a dream? And I was like, fucking worst dream of my life. Why would I even have that? I would never, you don't have like vivid memories of a dream. Um, So I had to convince her that it happened, which wasn't ideal. And we tried to like do some sort of half-assed press charges, whatever. And it just didn't really go anywhere. And it was sort of like, all right, Jamie, it's time to get over it.
0: She said that or you said that to yourself?
1: Um, I didn't say that to myself, but that was the general consensus was, all right, we indulged this a little bit. But, you know, there was never any anger from anyone in my family, um, not to the level that I would expect there to be. Like,
0: Did you get the feeling that they were concerned about this being something that would attract negative attention to the family?
1: No. Um, I just think they were in disbelief, maybe, or didn't want to deal with it, or something. It was weird. It was kind of a strange experience, uh, because it felt like, uh, it was like, we gave it the old college try to kind of make this right, but... There's nothing we can do.
0: I I wish people that support survivors would understand that the outcome of any potential legal action pales in comparison to you feeling that person's feelings and saying, I'm here. I believe you. What can I do? You must be in so much pain. Yeah. I mean, would you agree with that?
1: Yes. I I mean, it's one of those things where we talked about it. We tried some legal action and then it was never spoken of again.
0: And And to not try to fix that person, to not say, well, look at, you know, let's look at the positive over here. Or let's, if there is going to be a positive down the road through them healing, let them find it.
1: Honestly, I kind of feel like I would have preferred even that. To me, it was sort of like, it was such a neutrality that I was like, did this happen?
0: And when I say positive, (laughs) uh, people who are scratching their heads, uh, people who've been through uh, sexual trauma often find that they have to develop a muscle to just stay alive and cope that then is there for them to use in other areas of their life uh, as they proceed yeah Um, not that there's something positive out of the act itself
1: well i think that if there is something positive that came from it it um definitely gave me an empathy and a sensitivity that i maybe within my family wouldn't have developed since that doesn't exist as much in my family I, i was the one because i was like i know some pain like I know how it feels to feel like, why did this person do something that affected my life without my control? Um, I like know that. And I really feel like that's the basis of a lot of the work that I try to do and do is like, have empathy. I'm not trying to fix anyone. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's like, I want to tell you how you're doing it wrong so I can fix you. And
0: which is not empathy. No,
1: it's not empathy. And it might sell books and it might mm-hmm. sell seminars and all of that, but it's uh use it's just not helping people. It's
0: not not that different than that marine. And no. you had the mean marine.
1: It's confirming that marine yeah. is what it is. And i feel very much that what we need more than anything is someone to just sit down on the floor with us and be like i get it like me too i don't know what exactly you feel but i believe that
0: you feel it um google uh, i'm sure you've seen it but to, to the listeners google uh brené brown and empathy she does a Brilliant thing on the difference between sympathy and empathy. One of my dreams is to be able to uh, fly her in or fly me to go uh, interview her as a as a guest.
1: Yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah, she's really brilliant. But yeah, I I I feel that that's you know, and um, a lot of things that I felt about that sexual abuse, um, my weight, a lot of things that were just like plagued me for so long and were such a shame. It's like the thing I want to most talk about is shame now, which is so crazy because years ago I would have never, I would have been, I'm unflappable. Like you cannot get to me. People used to be like, Jamie, you're so confident. How are you? Like you're the most confident person ever. Like you, How do you, do you even doubt yourself? And I was like, nope, I'm amazing. And did
0: you believe that that you, were bulletproof in terms of confidence? Yes,
1: I actually think that I did.
0: So, was just all of the insecurity and pain just buried so deeply that it wasn't even conscious buried. to you? How did you get in touch with it? Or, or what changed?
1: Um, well, I guess we're circling back to this to my husband. So it's really interesting as a woman who is such a, like, I'm such a feminist. It's very interesting how much this man has had such an effect on, like, my emotional life because I I tried to love him and I couldn't. And I couldn't get through this fear and I couldn't accept his love. And I knew the purity of his love was, like, un... Uh, like. I didn't, couldn't believe that someone could just love me, especially like someone could just love me. And I wasn't skinny. I was like, this doesn't, I don't get this.
0: Help help me understand because, you know, when you described uh, that, uh, uh, taking a shower with him that you were able to let go. So was it a back and forth between shutting down and letting go? So was, you you would have these glimpses of freedom and confidence uh, with him. And then the mean part of your brain would come back and say, you're going to get hurt because you're not worthy of love.
1: Yes. So I, it's almost like there was this part of me that just was very steadfast and new. And then the other, which was the consciousness building of like, there is a disconnect between how I think of myself and what, and something else that's happening here, because there must be something buried deep. If I'm working so hard to protect this image of myself. And it had been building. I mean, he was the culmination of something that had been happening with me where I was just, after starting a business at 23 years old and still feeling like that isn't enough and I'm not enough and I need this career and I need to be here. And I left to, uh, I moved to San Francisco and then I moved to Paris and I still was like, Where the fuck is my happiness? Like, am I never going to be happy? And that's when I started doing this, like, am I not who I think I am? It was a really crazy period of disillusionment that started, like, it really, uh, the floodgates opened with him because I realized that all that, I'm not. Um, into commitment and i don't care about being in love and i'm a woman like i'm independent it's like then i just wanted to be loved and i couldn't let someone
0: (laughs) i was i was just thinking what you were looking for was not anti-feminist at all i i think the 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 notion and god i know this sounds like mansplaining but this is just how i heard what you what you said um Was To me, it wasn't at odds at all, because from what I interpret, uh, classic feminism is you don't need a man to survive. Yeah. But as a human being, you need love and vulnerability, and it just happened to come from a man. So to me, it's not counter-feminist at all. Every human being needs connection, safe connection. And to me, that's the difference. You're still an independent woman. You're just vulnerable now.
1: Yeah. So that's what happened. I you know, my mom was always very, Jamie, make your own money. You know, and I was always I want to make my own money. I never I it was never plan B to like marry just marry someone. Um and I really felt that and believed that. And yeah, then I was like, but wait, I want to let people in and i realized through that um he was he kept coming back and i was like why the fuck do you keep coming back you know even though i wanted him to come back he kept coming back every time he left my apartment Every day.
0: Were you living in different uh, countries at this point? No. So this was still
1: like the six. No, we. So we lived in Paris for a year together. Illegally. Good. Yeah. Mm. Um,
0: That's the hottest sex.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It was was (laughs) illegal. We couldn't speak. It was fine. Um, He. So for the first six months we were together. Every single time he left my apartment, I was like, I'm never going to see him again. That's just he's going to leave me. Like, why would he be with me? And. That was also the part of me where I was like, so this needs to be healed because that's not a good feeling because it had nothing to do with him. He kept coming back. It was never, he was never going to leave. He literally wanted to marry me within like a week. And I say that as someone who's, we're almost been together for six years. That was not fleeting. And I still am like, Six months in, I'm still like, so this is it. He's gone. We were living together at that point. And I still, every time he left, he's going to leave. So it started to be, I got to look at this. And why am I in Paris? And why can't I ever like keep a friendship? And why do I not let people in? And why can't I stay in one place? And all these questions of things that I hadn't been asking myself. I was like, shit. Now I gotta figure this out, and it was—it's that's what started it.
0: So was it just constant re- self-reflection? Did you go constant. to therapy? Did um, you Read books. What helped you?
1: Um, so I read books. And, I didn't go to therapy. Um, I and, mean, I went off and on.
0: Any books in particular that helped?
1: Um, what was the book that I was reading? Uh, when things fall apart.
0: Pema was, Children. Yep. Amazing book.
1: Amazing. Um, Abraham Hicks, Asking It Is Given, amazing. Um, but the book that really was like opened me was A Return to Love by Marion Williamson. I was like, oh my God, love. Like it, like it hadn't occurred to me that love and vulnerability is actually safe.
0: And, and, And strength.
1: And strength. I thought strong is strong, so you don't let anybody in, don't ever show emotion, you don't ever tell anyone that you're feeling insecure, you don't ever tell them how you're really feeling, don't admit weakness. That, to me, was like, I'm strong. That's why everyone thought I was confident.
0: Yeah, it's like, I'm strong. I never leave the house. Yeah. (laughs) Leave the house. That's
1: strength. Right. Like, I'm strong. You've never seen me cry. It's like, it's so backwards. Yeah. So backwards. And so there was a lot of, so then I started, um, I didn't go to a therapist, but I started seeing a woman who calls herself a transformational coach. And she does these very intense, like two to two and a half hour sessions of just, we're going to get through to some things. And that's what I needed. I I actually needed, I can talk myself into um, circles and therapy. I had gone to therapy, but what I ended up doing with all of my therapists that I had gone to was I just wanted to make them laugh. I wanted them to think I was charming that was my thing.
0: And they see right fucking through it.
1: But some of them didn't. No? Some of them didn't, and they didn't call me out. Wow. I had m- multiple, multiple therapists end up telling me their story. Where I that was giving horrible. them advice. But that's how good I was at being like, I'm healed. I,
0: I, also, I also hate, hate to, <laughs> to b- bust your balloon, but that's also how shitty they were.
1: Yes. Well, Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It was a terrible combo.
0: It was a bullshit festival.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, uh, she was not bullshit. She would not let me make my jokes. What
0: did that feel like?
1: Oh, it sucked.
0: You must have felt claustrophobic.
1: Oh, I hated her. I hated her a couple of those sessions. One time she told me to meditate, and I almost hung up on her. Literally almost hung up on her. I was so mad she wanted me to meditate. I was like what the fuck am I gonna do with meditation? I don't need that. Like I had this pride of like you don't see anything through me. Um
0: It's amazing how pride can kill us. Whew. Amazing. Go ahead.
1: I didn't even know. Do you I remember the first time it. you cried
0: with in front of her? Um what it was about and what it felt like
1: so we did a lot of our sessions on the phone. So sometimes there was one time where I cried, but it never I never really just like let it go. The only person I've really just allowed myself to cry in front of is my husband and um my mom. Everyone else, I don't it's still hard for me. It's still hard for me. I can express vulnerability in my words, but to show it is, <laughs> I'm like, oh no.
0: Dude, I so get that. I so get that.
1: It, feel, it still feels like weakness to me, even though I know it's not. Even though I actually know it's not and believe it's not and know in my soul it's not.
0: I think there's like a little thing in us that feels like we're going to crumble if we if we start to do that, or or we're going to get rejected, or some somehow it's just going to fucking fall apart if we.
1: Yeah, and I think that's uh. Somehow, I saw the pain in life and my own life. And thought if I give this attention I will not survive like I I will not be okay
0: it will consume me
1: and honestly I have to say younger me was right because for as much time as I've been doing this and healing and working on this there have been many stretches of time where I kind of wish I could have gone back to my protected self, I would have gotten a lot more shit done. You know, I mean, it's, it doesn't make a lot of money. <laughs> and It doesn't do a lot to really be like journaling. <laughs> I mean, and it, but it's so valuable. But at the same time, it does consume me. Because now I'm so self-aware that it's all out there. Nothing gets by me now. I mean, if there's one day where I feel like I'm hiding something, if there's a week that goes by and I haven't been able to sit with myself, I haven't been able to meditate, I haven't wanted to, I'm like, get on the floor.
0: When you don't want to (laughs) meditate is when you should be meditating (laughs) the most. That's for sure. What are some of the uh, barometers for you when you know something's going on with you, but you aren't sure what it is yet?
1: Uh, The first thing is usually... very irritable. I mean, I can get very annoyed and like short with everyone. I just, I get into this, I'm smarter than everybody. I don't have time for anybody if they're not on my level. And that is such a tightness and resistance to life. But that's a big one. And then also the, I need to make plans and I can't like, be with myself. And I have to go and I have to do this. And um, but now it's, it's much less likely because I now, even though I've um, really ra- like railed against having a routine as someone who's self-employed, I absolutely need it. I can't let my mind go crazy in the morning. And I say that actually literally crazy, like mental illness crazy. It will. I, if I let my mind go to whatever place that it goes to, I've lost my whole day and maybe weeks.
0: How? Just by sitting and, and just bounce your brain, bouncing from one topic to the next and you get paralyzed or what?
1: Um, I start it starts a lot on the Internet and social media and then I start trying to figure everything out and then I'm upset. And then why did this person do that? And then why did this happen? And then why am I like this? And like, why have I not done this yet? And why do I not have this amount of money? And, th- 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 and then I'm paralyzed. I can't get past it. And so I have to basically just like wake up and be, I, I have a whole list of tasks that I do in the morning and I have to do it. You know, like make the breakfast, sit down, write in the journal, go on a walk, listen to the podcast.
0: That sounds sounds healthy to me. It's
1: healthy. No, it's healthy for me. Because then I actually, through that, can hear what really needs to come up. I'm not trying to deny myself Mm -hmm. my feelings or anything. I'm not trying to say they don't matter, push them down. I just can't have them um, attack me
0: it 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 sounds kind of like what you what you're saying is that there's a difference between structure and rigidity.
1: Yes. Where you're using rigidity as a way to escape yourself. Um I realize a lot of what I did with sex, the men, the the uh drinking, I drank a lot when I was younger in my 20s. Um I did a lot of things that so
0: many people who experienced uh, sexual abuse when when they start becoming sexually active are hypersexual and have to to drink to enjoy it. That that's I've heard so many. And that was my experience as as well.
1: Yeah, I I felt like and still do kind of feel this way sometimes that my drunk self is my real self. That's my better self. I'm more fun. I'm more interesting. I can let loose. I'm, uh, I can chill. And, uh, so a lot of that was escapism. Um, you know, for me, if we're talking about barometers, um, my family has a history of alcoholism. There are things I have to kind of, I have to be a little rigid with myself sometimes, too. Um, that I know where I could go um, if I let myself escape. It feels good to escape. Can you, escape. That's can you the thing.
0: be more specific, or are you not comfortable being more specific?
1: Um, no, I mean I, I could be more specific. I I make really poor decisions when I drink. Um, I'm not, and I like to drink a lot. I mean, I will if I get drunk. I'm drinking. I don't. I don't pass out, and I don't get sick. I could just drink and drink and drink, which is the mark of you know usually some sort of alcoholism.
0: Do you think you might be an alcoholic?
1: No, not at all okay i'm i mean i i there are warning signs in my family. there are certain behaviors that I have exhibited. I actually don't drink very often um yeah. and haven't for at least five or six years um It's a rare occurrence but when it does happen it's alarming mm. where i'm like why do i not
0: stop are are there <laughs> are there other uh addictions that you struggle with mm. things where you you say uh, you know i'm only going to you know do one of this or you know th- th- just for this amount of time and then you find yourself breaking promises to yourself. To me that's usually the beginning that's a red flag that there that there might be uh an addiction. But, you know, not certainly not a hard and fast rule, but
1: I think I have less of like a compulsion and an addiction. Um I don't have a I don't have a very addictive personality. It's more like I have a dis, like a destructive personality. I Once I start going down, so I'm I'm addicted to probably like setting my life on fire and I have to like curb that all the time, which is essentially the circle back around to that tweet. It's like 50% of me wants to just have a nice life and accept that. And the other just wants to say, fuck it all, leave everything behind. <laughs>
0: I'm so afraid I'm not going to decorate the house perfectly. I might as well burn it down. Yeah.
1: Like whatever. It's like, that's an idea, yeah. (laughs) you know? Um, so I, I do have a sort of like compulsion to just, uh, burn everything down. And I do like to run away and escape myself and escape my surroundings, which, uh, is hard to do when you love people in your life and you have things you actually want to do that take long-term commitments. And, uh, So it's a push and pull there um, because I think that I have more of like a, maybe a binging sort Mm -hmm. of personality where it's not ongoing, but when it starts, like when I want to feel good or something, you know, like I want more of it. Yeah. I always need more.
0: I'm I'm not trying to say that this is you. I'm I'm saying this for the listeners out there. But one of the types of uh alcoholics is a is the binge drinker. They can go long periods without. Um but when they start, they don't know what's gonna happen and they and they can't stop. Um so that my dad was one of those one of mm-hmm. those types of drinkers. But that's not me trying to say, Oh, no, you're wrong, you're an alcoholic and you're a binge drinker. I just wanted that information out there for no, the listeners. For
1: sure. I mean I, I am, for as maybe, I don't know, some, for as, like, kind of in the dark that I kept myself for so long, I still had a pretty good sense of, don't go down this road, like, that's not a good path, and, you know, don't go to that guy's house, and even though you want to, and uh, don't drink this anymore don't go out this night anymore you know like there was and i i have to say i mean it felt almost like i was being guided because it was beyond me mm-hmm. i i was like no i, I want to keep having fun and i want to keep uh fucking whoever i want i don't care i don't I just want to do it i want to do it i want to do it i want more i want more i don't want to ever have to look at myself and I don't want to be boring and I don't want to have a boring life and I want to just keep going, 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 going you know, that was, and there was something that just kind of, I've always felt very guided by an intuition, something stronger than me. It was like, okay, you're done
0: now. What do you think uh if the, if there is one you could put your finger on has been the biggest breakthrough or, or moment of healing or insight or catharsis in your in your life? If not, you know, that's that's fine too.
1: I think when I realized that and it's funny because it's such a it's almost cliche to say it, which is interesting because when I heard it it wasn't cliche. But that's how quickly it's come into, like, common vernacular that, like, vulnerability is strength. Like, I, the, the reason that I escaped myself and went to such lengths to keep myself from ever appearing not okay is because of the power of vulnerability. I mean, the depth of your despair is the depth of your joy for sure. So I was always, I mean, I went through so much to keep myself from ever feeling a freedom in vulnerability. And it it was really life changing to understand a part, a lot of it was with my writing. I started, I've been blogging, writing online for over a decade. But it's always been very surface level. A lot of it was comedic for a while. I used to write funny stories about my crazy antics and my funny life and my drunken stuff and my dating life. And then I got a job at a website called Thought Catalog, and I had to write every day. And my comedy just was not cutting it. And I started saying to myself, what would happen if I just started telling the truth? I just started saying the things. And I had already been on such a journey of opening myself up, not hiding. And I would have to say that sharing all of that with, I mean, this website had 30 million readers. It was not small. Mm-hmm. Millions of people and having people say, oh my God, me too. Yes, that's how I feel. How are you doing that? How do you know me? Like all of this stuff. And I started to feel, I'm, am I actually not alone? Like, this is not weird that I feel this way. This is not, I'm not actually, like, broken as a person. And that all stemmed from this vulnerability of, I really, I need to tell the truth.
0: Would you remember the first thing you shared that was scary to share? That was an example of that vulnerability? Um, Telling the truth?
1: Yes, I do. What did I... I wrote, I wrote something about not being good enough, about this fear of inadequacy. And I think that everything that I do is not good enough and all of this stuff. And it was very, I was terrified because I was like, well, now everybody's going to think that I'm inadequate. Everybody's going to know that's how I see myself And they're going to see, and they're going to look for all the reasons that I'm inadequate. And they're going to see that I have this body and that's why I feel that way. Or that I have, they're going to look at everything and find evidence. And all I got were people, me too. Me too. How did you know? Me too. And I was like, what? That's weird. And then another one was, I wrote this piece called, 23 things people who love to be alone know or something like that. Like a silly list, but to me it was actually I had always felt so ashamed that I liked to be alone. and I thought that in, in high school I was so un- I was not popular. I was not cool. Um, I never went to a party. I think I went to one party in high school and I felt very uncool. And I always thought it's shameful to not have a bunch of friends and not have plans Friday and Saturday night and just shame. And I wrote this piece and it was like, all you, you get excited when you don't have plans on a Saturday night and, or on Mm. a Saturday or the whole weekend. And it's the best ever. And all you want to do is go to the coffee shop and read a book and all this stuff. And it was like read and shared probably like 10 million times. Wow. And I was like, yes. (laughs) yes.
0: <laughs>
1: oh my God. It was so silly because I mean, looking back now, it's so funny because it was like a couple years ago. That is so a nothing thing for me to share now, you know? And I have shared much more vulnerable stuff since then. But at the time that was just like, oh my God, people are going to know that I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> you know, or like that I don't have plans every Friday and Saturday or night. Or they're going to
0: think I hate people.
1: Yeah, they're going to think so I hate people it's and so that fun. I'm I'm uncool. They're going to finally know that I'm uncool.
0: <laughs> what was the hardest thing to share that you've ever shared or written about?
1: Um, The hardest thing. Oh, the first thing that comes to mind is I wrote about what it's like for, to be with, um, a man who's Muslim and not because it wasn't hard to write because I, it was not anything, but I I was scared to share it because I didn't, I was scared of what people would say and what they would think and, um, their judgments, which I guess were my own judgments in essence um, that I try not to have. And then um, I'm afraid
0: you couldn't control it.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I was, I really wanted people to understand that, that I, I mean, I don't see that as a divide between Hosemini. and I, it's not a divide. I've been with his family. It's amazing. They're the most loving people ever they're like the sweetest and I don't even need to qualify that because I shouldn't have to. And, um, it's, uh, that was a hard piece. Um, I really felt that people were going to judge me. Um, but also I, on top of that, not just about the religion, but about immigration. Um, I, I really struggled with people feeling not, he only loved me because he wanted a green card. Um, like I feared that people were thinking that
0: I see. behind
1: closed doors. And if you
0: wrote about it, you couldn't control what other people yeah. thought. And then you would look foolish knowing that other people are out there thinking you're foolish. Yeah. yeah. That's one of my biggest fears.
1: Yeah. Looking foolish. Yes.
0: And that's why I cut myself down before anybody else gets a chance. I want you to know that I think I am dumber than you could ever think. <laughs>
1: I go that. See, that's funny because I go the other way where I'm like, I want you to know that I don't give a shit what you think about me. And so whatever you say, even though internally I've started, I mean, I don't do that anymore as much because it's just so intense to keep that up. But I now will admit, oh, that hurt me. I don't like that. Um, But for a while it was, you can't make me feel foolish. You can't make me feel stupid. Because I don't care what you think. I You can't touch me. I have no feelings. I'm cold. Um, but yeah, there was that more so than the religion. It was more about the immigration where people were going to be like, well, clearly I've seen you and you're not that great and you're not lovable and you're not worthy. So like he only wants you for a green card. And like that was my.
0: And did anybody wind up saying that?
1: No, not even
0: oh, there's some serious trolls out there, so I wouldn't put anything past anybody, but I imagine the tone it's amazing when we're vulnerable, how kindly it is usually received by people it's it's there's something um you know it's usually when I'm being snarky about something that you know I get karma, yeah. coming back at me,
1: well, even the um i I have even writ and I don't want to go back on a political thing but like I've even written about politics and even when someone doesn't disagree with or agree with me it's never been trolling um I actually um like I really believe in the law of attraction mm-hmm. so I don't even give trolls I don't even think of people that way like I, I and it's it honestly works because I don't get a lot of bad comments even though I talk about. Stuff. I mean, I talk about real things, but I, I, okay. So this was a really formative moment. Um, One of the first things, one of the first couple of weeks I was working at Thought Catalog, I got a horrible, horrible comment on a post called In Defense of the Selfie. And I was saying, you know, like for women, that's a really revelatory act to just be able to like how we look. And share that and be like, hey, kind of like my face today. That's the whole premise of this post. And this guy rips into me and he goes, I looked at your Instagram. You have look like you have the most boring life ever. I bet that the people in your life that read this and they see your selfies, they think, oh my God, another selfie. I'm just going to pity like it. and Nobody probably even likes you. Like went off. So my friend my friend is an expert stalker found his email address and I emailed him and I said, Oh, hello, Aaron. Um, this was a really horrible comment. Why would you say something like this? This post was um, pretty tame in regards to uh, what posts are on the internet. And I don't appreciate this. I have a lovely life and I have a lot of people that love me. So I don't know what happened to you, But I feel like you got to get right with yourself on this. And he responded and was like, I am so sorry. Like, I'm having the worst thing in my life. Like, this person left me. I have no job. Like, he was just down in the dumps. He still emails me every once in a while. Hey, Jamie, how's it going? Just want to check in to see if you're okay. Like, just thinking about you. And honestly, that was a moment where I just, I was like, okay, they don't get to me anymore.
0: And you got to see how complex this guy is. And he was having a bad day and he was doing what, well, I can't speak for everybody. I know I do, is when I'm hating on myself, I project it onto somebody else because it's easier than self-reflecting.
1: Yes. And they some things sneak in there every once in a while of course but for the most part i i don't give it a lot of air that's i've worked hard hard on that to just say okay it's okay if someone doesn't like me like it's okay if someone doesn't agree with me and it's okay if someone's having the worst day ever like yeah. i mean i feel like we've A lot of time, we've come into this time of like, we're just going to like aggressively engage everybody. And I, even though it's hard, even though I want people to be accountable, I also am like, I need to be the compassion that I want to see in this world. God damn it.
0: (laughs) I I couldn't agree more. I I couldn't agree more. You know, we, we have to remember that we are... We represent humanity to other people. And the most noble thing I think you can do is be the person that you want to meet.
1: Yes. Agreed. And I I really try to hold myself to that standard. Like, that's part of my self-awareness is, what, what's my contribution in this? Yeah. What am I doing? Um, hold myself accountable mm-hmm. to, uh, am I... Am I being unkind, mm-hmm. yeah, probably yeah like am I saying something that someone could misconstrue in a way that I don't want it to be misconstrued? um you know it's not a it's not a martyr situation, but it's more of like a can I say this in a better way, or can I approach this in a better way? And I think that's really hard to do, but also if the thing that I care the most about is compassion and vulnerability and I'm not acting in accordance with that, like what mm-hmm. the fuck am I doing? Just don't do it. And then just go do something else. Like okay? I just, like truly, truly believe that.
0: Okay? I do too. Yeah. I do too. Is there anything else you'd like to, uh, to share before we uh, wrap things up?
1: Oh, share. Um, well, the biggest thing that I think I've realized is something does happen to our shame and our pain and our trauma when we release it into the air. Something really powerful does end up happening. What we think is consuming us does dissipate the moment we give it words and say it and say, this does not control me anymore.
0: hmm
1: because the more we keep it in, the more it has, the things we hide own us. Yeah. They'll, those become our identity. And so it, our life becomes, how can I move around this huge boulder that I'm hiding? And I just, I've found that, I mean, there's never a time in my past that I could have Ever spoken about? I would have been horribly ashamed to talk on a podcast to someone about how a 17-year-old man or 15-year-old boy pushed me down and like did things with me that I don't even know because I repressed it. And uh, honestly, just saying it—it it doesn't own me now. It doesn't get to own me anymore. I have to grapple with it, but it doesn't owe me.
0: Well said. Well said. Jamie, uh we'll put your links to your uh stuff when when we post this, but um I'm really glad our paths crossed. I'm glad I listened to my little sixth sense that said <laughs> uh she seems like she'd be a good guest because you were a, you were a great guest. And Thank I appreciate you. it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Many, many thanks to uh to Jamie, and uh, I will be reading a uh, response from Denise. Obviously, she hasn't heard this episode yet, but I told her what I was going to say, um, the gist of what I was going to say on this episode, and asking for her response to it so that I could read it. Um, I'll explain all of that in a a little bit, Um, but in the meantime want to tell you guys about probimmune. Uh did you know that research suggests that up to 80% of your immune system relies on a healthy gut. Well, I know that because I had a super unhealthy gut for many many years and it fucking sucked. My energy was bad. Uh there's foods that I couldn't properly digest. I was constantly out of breath and I had no idea what was wrong with me. And it, also it was making my depression worse, worse because your mood is directly related to how healthy your gut is and probe immune has the industry's leading fermentation process so it ensures that the largest number of good bacteria are going to be delivered alive in your gut it doesn't matter how many are in the bottle it's how many survive the digestive process probe immune super easy to use easy to travel with, and here's a really important thing. It doesn't require refrigeration. I just keep mine on my bathroom sink, and in the morning, um, after I uh, completely shave my body and rub in my uh, orange uh, suntan, slick my hair back, put on my cowboy hat, put on my cufflinks, which seems weird because I'm not wearing a shirt yet, I then take four drops of Probe Immune. Right now, you guys can get the exclusive offer of a free bottle of Probeimmune when you sign up for automated delivery. That's a $34.95 bottle of Probeimmune free. All you got to do is go to Probeimmune.com, that's spelled P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E, and use the promo code MENTAL at checkout. You'll get your first bottle free, and you pay just six seventy-five. dollars shipping and handling. And then each month, Young Health will automatically send you your supply of Probe Immune for thirty-four ninety-five with free shipping and handling. So go to probeimmune.com, that's P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E, and use the promo code MENTAL at checkout to get your free bottle today. And I'll put a link for all of that on our website. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Because posting your job in one place is not enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. ZipRecruiter already has 9 million resumes you can search through in their database. You can add multiple people to your account and make it the most efficient for your team to find the best hire. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click, ZipRecruiter is a search engine for finding and posting jobs. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. If you have any issues, ZipRecruiter's friendly and human support staff is ready to help. Find out today. Why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. It's been featured on Forbes, Wall Street Journal, uh, Time Magazine, New York Times, TechCrunch, and CBS. ZipRecruiter's website shows trending career fields, cities, and searches. So right now, you guys can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. One more time. To try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com/first. All right, let's let's get back on this uh, this delicate balance beam of this hornet's nest that's been created in the last couple of last couple of episodes. So, I sent Denise a note and said. Uh, I appreciate, this is after I got the the email from her, and I said, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts, even though I feel I don't deserve the way you shared them. Uh, I will repeat, I will be reading this on this week's episode and addressing some of your points. It will be the opening of the interview, not the intro. I agree that Bill Clinton is a predator, and I think there is some validity that Hillary, uh, shamed his victims. My guest and I discuss it in a way that I hope you and others who feel the way you do will appreciate. I do not like either Bill or Hillary. I think they are both dishonest and in it for themselves above all else. One of the things I ask in the interview is why you attacked me so personally I ask you to share with me why that might be. If there might be additional anger coming from some place that's being triggered by my stances. I know that when I get really, really upset and want to go for the jugular, it's usually because something is triggered from my past or it mind, reminds me of someone who abused me, ignored me, or failed to protect me. I'm asking you this not to criticize you or to make you look bad. I'm doing it to try to better understand how we can talk about politics with fellow citizens, with civility. I get the anger. Our country is being sold out. And then I got an email back from her that said, um, Hi, Paul. Thanks for your note. So I see where you're taking this. You'll read my initial letter to you. You'll read your response, response, which paints you as a victim and demonstrates how, quote, mean the anti-Hillary crowd is then you won't read this rebuttal you solicited right question mark let's see you mentioned on last week's show that you were quote riled up after reading a letter from bart who disagreed with your politics well i'm riled up too you have managed to take what was an entirely fun informative entertaining podcast and turn it into a weekly platform to expose your political philosophy and malign the half of all americans who disagree with you and you're twisting yourself into pretzels by straining to justify discussing your politics under the guise of a mental health issue. How shameful. The other week you quipped that Trump supporters would never be listening to your show. Chuckle, chuckle. Why is that, Paul? Uh, Is your witty liberal banter just too sophisticated for the rubes? Um, Actually, I'm going to interject here. No. Um, I'm surprised that people who come to this podcast for the talk about compassion and forgiveness and self-reflection would be the same type of people that would follow somebody like him. Um, But here's the punchline. Half of Americans think you're the fool for supporting Hillary. That's the way opinions work. Um, Well, thank you for explaining to me how opinions work. Um, And again, in my last email to you, I said that I am not a supporter of hers, and I won't be voting for her. Uh, Continuing. So again, it's your show, but the way I see it, you have three choices. Either balance your political diatribes and insults, shut the fuck up, or continue losing listeners and supporters who are tired of your one-sided political lectures and being maligned week after week simply because they disagree with your point of view. Uh, we tune in for mental health discussions, not your opinions on politics and candidates. Best, Denise. You know, I'm not even really sure what to, what to say. I wanted to have a civil conversation. I wanted to try to understand. Um, I-, I wanted to try to understand how people could have such a vastly different opinion. On how important the safety of sexual assault victims in our society is, so I'm I'm confused and frustrated, and I'm sure I'll get more fucking emails from people. And you know what? You can send them, but I feel like I did my job in trying to have an open conversation. Uh, over these last several weeks. Maybe my conversation was was narrow when I started it off, but uh, I feel like I expanded it. I feel like I didn't get personal. Um, and that's all I can do. So it's really kind of a shame. That's really kind of a shame. Uh, and if you disagree with me and you're still hanging in, listening to the podcast, uh, I want to thank you because it does not... The podcast is, I think, in the long run better if we uh, have more viewpoints in the uh, in the tent as it as it were. Um, and from the very beginning, I've wanted this to be an, an inclusive podcast. Um, and there's just no way around some topics. Because you cannot separate mental illness from sexual trauma. You just can't. Or mental struggles, mental and emotional struggles. All right. Let's get to some surveys. And uh, I'm going to probably not going to get through all of these. It is, for some reason, took me a really long time to put the surveys together. And I'm running about three hours behind when I normally am. Um, Lavender Girl, um, this is just a portion of her Shame and Secret survey. Uh, she's bisexual in her twenties, um, and ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I'm going to be reading quite a few of these because, um, I just think it's a really important thing and it constantly amazes me what people don't consider abuse. I remember being 13 when my mom's boyfriend started coming around more often and he would be there during our uh, during our every other weekend visits for years. Even after they were married, he would make sexual comments towards me that made me feel ashamed and confused. He would make sexual comments anytime I ate ice cream, referring to how good I'd be at oral sex. That right there... His sexual abuse. Uh, he would tell me I was going to be a whore when I turned 16 and that I probably would uh, end up in a, as a lesbian porn star. Um, that alone would have been enough. I was terrified and confused because I was a very shy girl and boys terrified me. Once we moved in with him, he didn't allow me to close my bedroom door and would often quickly open the door after I had showered. That alone right there is sexual abuse. When I would be laying in bed at night, I remember him standing over me, watching me sleep constantly. I always pretended to be sleeping, but it made me so nervous and upset. I had told my mom all of these things as they happened, and she brushed it off and told me that he was the best thing that ever happened to her, and that I'm blowing out it out of proportion. And that should have been enough. Had Had this information gotten out to child services, um, that would have been enough to have you removed uh, from the home just you know even if that the boyfriend was out of the picture, even just a mom being that derelict in her duty to protect her daughter would have been enough to have you taken away from her um, giving you a hug, Emma shares about her depression. Uh, I have a very difficult time remembering and processing my own humanity. I'm never a person, and people saying my name almost always freaks me out. I shared that I've shared that several times on the podcast that I am still amazed that when I hear my name, that I'm that I'm visible, that I'm that I'm that I'm not invisible. I, I so get that one. And you're you're only 16 or 17. It's so pathetic. I'm 53 and I still feel that way. I was on TV. I did stand-up comedy. I have a podcast and I'm still a little like, "Oh my god, I'm alive and I'm navigating the world and people see it." It's crazy. Twitch It's about their PTSD. Your personal history is now categorized before the incident and after the incident, and there's a part of you that rages knowing that other people don't live within the same timeline. That is profound. About uh, being on the autism spectrum. The utter certainty that you were stolen from another world as a baby because you don't fit in here and can't fathom why you'd bother to try snapshot from their life. I'm seven years old and here for the first time that at one, that at a year old, I weighed more than my cousin who is eight years my senior. Instead of thinking, yes, my cousin has always been petite and underweight. I begin to see myself as a large monstrous creature, fat and unlovable. It's unbelievable how just what might be an offhand comment in one person's life is a life-shaping moment in another's um, to the person that hears it. Uh, This is from the What Has Helped You survey. um, And this is filled out by Orange You Glad You Can Chill. And uh, her issues are major depressive disorder, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, adult diagnosed, ADHD, and what has helped her. Uh, for those who dissociate, whether DID, trauma-induced, otherwise, uh, one of your guests mentioned that ice uh, slash an ice pack can help a person to stop, uh, stop dissociating. I learned in an intensive outpatient program actually that freezing citrus fruit, particularly oranges, tangerines, lemons, or limes can be more beneficial for some than just ice. Here's why, it freezes up similar to an ice pack, but as it melts, it's also releasing the scent of citrus, which is very powerful to the brain and also helps to ground you and center you in addition to the cold feeling of the ice. This can also help with self-injury or urges. Uh, what have people said or done that has helped you? Uh, the first time I heard would I say the things I say to myself to anyone else, it floored me. Still working on being kinder to myself, but at least I'm more aware. Thank you so much for that and thank you for that tip on the on the frozen fruit. That's brilliant. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by uh, what the fuck happened here. She is. I'm just reading portions of these surveys. Um, she's in her thirties, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, straight. Uh, she was sexually uh, abused at 15 by two guys who were in their early twenties. And just to give you a little snapshot of it, um, they they were strangers. They started walking down the beach together. Um, they started hitting on her. Uh, she writes, I meekly told them, no, it was very meek, but I said it multiple times. Uh, they didn't listen. It escalated. Um, I was sort of frozen the whole time. They walked me back to the boardwalk with their arm around me being friendly, but I was so ashamed. I sobbed all the way back to my aunt's house where I told her what had happened. My family was enraged for me. And we were all clear that I had been molested or violated. But I don't think I'd ever told anyone that the truth is that the shame I really felt was about wanting it and on some level enjoying it, even though it was so gross. I was so lonely and so desperate for male affection. Um, And the reason that I wanted to, to read that is because that doesn't mean you weren't abused. It's... You know, this is probably a horrible analogy, but it's like if you went into a restaurant and you just really wanted to try the lasagna, but a guy came out and was throwing the lasagna at your face and forcing it down your throat, that's like saying, well, you know, it's my fault because I wanted lasagna. No, the manner in which it was presented to you m- made it something you that... that was not desirable you can still i don't know i'm just gonna dig myself a hole by trying to over explain this but i think you get what i'm saying and as i said many times on the podcast um, physical sexual arousal happens all the time when people are being uh, violated your body and your soul can experience two completely different things at the same time and your soul was was hurt Your soul was hurt. Um, She's been physically and emotionally abused. Um, Both her parents had very weird boundaries. Um, My father was pretty obsessed with me as a baby. My mom says he wouldn't let me walk. And when I was an adult, I wrote a poem about some early childhood experiences with him. I, I remember being really proud of the poem till my aunt remarked that the poem was full of sexual tension and a bit creepy. I could never read the poem after that. At the age of two, my mom... My mom wound up moving with me very far away, another continent. My dad's own mom had been pretty awful. I never met her, but he says she had a thyroid problem. My mom just says she was a bitch. And from the stories, it really sounds so. My dad was the, quote, good boy, um, but his need for me was, and sometimes still is, quite overwhelming, engulfing. His heart was broken when my mom took me away, not that he did anything to stop it. He's been a doormat for much of his life. To this day it's extremely rare that I have a conversation with him without him sighing heavily and in some dramatic fashion say how hard it is that quote we're apart. I think he talks to me in that way, a bit like a lover and not a daughter. Yeah, I would completely agree. It's it's Gross. On the other hand, I was raised by a single mom, and there were also some really weird boundary crossings there that I don't understand. She had a couple long term relationships, but they were long stretches of single. There were long stretches of singlehood, and I think I filled in a lot of the blanks for her. I'm reading the book Silently Seduced, the book you suggested, and hoping that things will make more sense, but here's some of the snapshots I'm trying to make sense of. I remember at one point lying in bed next to her. I had gone in because of a nightmare or something, and she threw her leg over me the way you do when you're cuddling romantically. It felt so icky and inappropriate. She has a tendency towards sloppy wet kisses. I told her no the first time last week, thanks to you. I also remember times she would talk about how it was to breastfeed me, about the intensity and pleasure she would feel when I would cry and her breast would suddenly flood with milk and how sensual it was. That is really beyond inappropriate. That is... um. That's that's abusive. My mom offered to show me how to give a blowjob when I was a teen uh, till it was too gross, so I told her to stop. My first vibrator was hers. She lent it to me when, at 18, I told her I'd never had an orgasm. As a young adult, I would feel pressured to hang out with my mom and do stuff together in a way that made me feel like I was her social life and that if I didn't do it, she wouldn't have anyone else. I remember once in an elevator with my cousin, and aunt who seemed to be the only ones who actually see this stuff go down and are close enough to me to voice it. My mom and I were talking to each other in a way that was really the way romantic partners do, not parent-child, sort of giggling intimately. Um, and Um And it goes it goes on but i i just feel like that is enough to um paint the 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 picture um so when she asked the the uh question Maybe most of these things are benign. Maybe I'm a whining, selfish, only child. Sometimes they feel totally like not a big deal, but after hearing about covert incest, cumulatively, they start to feel creepy. And the picture combines into something of which I'm terrified. Am I blaming my lack of romantic success on my parents? Am I trying to make sense of something? Um and pathologize something that is just essentially and existentially bad luck? Should I just fucking get over it? Why haven't I fallen in love? I should mention that, A, I've had a couple of long-term relationships with nice men who cared for me, and, B, I want nothing more in life than to be a mom and to bring a child into the world who feels cared for, safe, and totally free, to be who they are. That window is closing, and it sucks. Um, I just want to say, I don't think you're exaggerating, um, oh, and another interesting thing, too, is sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. She writes, uh, I fantasize about taking two men. Uh, and then in the parentheses, she writes, I just put that together with the early experience I had. And I read er- erotic literature uh, about incest. Um, I think all of this stuff is worth exploring with, uh, with a therapist, or, or a support group and you are not whining you are not making too big of a deal um, with what happened to you uh, with those two men because they were in their early 20s and you were 15 and uh, and what happened with your mom and your dad it sounds to me like covert incest from from both of them and I, I hope that that book rings some, some bells for you so that you can start to have some compassion for yourself um Thank you for sharing that. Malajoyo writes about his uh, depression and hypomania. In a hypomanic episode, a sudden wave of energetic depression gripped me while I was spending time with my youngest daughter. While she was watching YouTube videos for preschoolers, I was lying next to her, quietly crying, daydreaming about throwing myself in front of a train. Wow. Thank you for... For sharing that. That's that is so fucking heavy. What a picture that that is. <sighs> Fuck. Can't imagine how hard it has to be to be a parent and have a, a mental illness that, that that is that um has days like that. O. J. Shakewell shares about his depression. I'm not frugal. I just don't deserve nice things. Depression saves me a lot of money because I can't manage to leave the house and go to the store and get a haircut or buy clothes. Any comments to make the podcast better? Go fuck yourself, Paul. Uh, Actually, uh, OJ Shakewell, there have been quite a few listeners writing and telling me to go fuck myself and not ironically, but... uh, Way more of you have been writing in and backing me. And that means the world to me. The kid who drowned at summer camp writes about their anorexia, triggering flashbacks on purpose just so the nausea keeps me from eating. But being a sex crime victim, wondering if I'll ever get off without fearing for my life. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. That is... Snapshot from their life. When my therapist stopped seeing me because I wasn't making progress anymore, but I was only letting myself relapse so that he wouldn't let me go. My typical borderline ass. Any comments to make the podcast better? Um, uh, Thank you for your comments the last couple of uh, episodes. I will consider trying an unfrosted Pop-Tart, but no promises. Uh for those of you that that eat frosted pop tarts and that endorse frosted pop tarts there's no middle ground. Unfrosted pop tarts uh, there's there's not even uh, listen I don't want this podcast to be any more divisive than it already is. But those of you that like frosted pop tarts you're less than animals. Animals, animals won't even have you around as animals. That's how low of a life form you are for wanting that fucking horrible frosting on such a beautiful, perfect dessert. I can only assume that you. Uh, I'm not. I don't. I don't need to get. I don't need to ignite the uh, frosted pop tart crowd. <laughs> right now. Right now, somebody is just listening to the podcast, uh, <laughs> that hates my thoughts on the last two weeks and loves frosted Pop Tarts. What has helped you? I'm so in my fucking head right now. I can't even. If, if you guys were here right now, I would just reach out and for a hug. And just stay there for about an hour. I'm so in my fucking head right now. Um, What has helped you? And this is filled out by okay. Um, Okay exclamation point. A therapist recommended using... The voice memo app on my phone to record voice journals. My anxiety makes my thoughts race too quickly to write them down. My hand can't move fast enough. I struggle with all or nothing black and white thinking, and she had me go back, listen to my journal entries, and deconstruct them. It helped me realize how hard I am on myself and how unfairly I treat myself. I am not, in fact, the stupidest person in the world because I used the wrong word during a conversation with a stranger. What a great suggestion. Boy, some really great suggestions this week. Um, this is filled out by Beast with Burdens. It's a shame and secret survey. And she's bisexual in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, she's never been sexually abused, but she has been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, really, really um, uh, uh, verbal, physical fights. Um Between her parents and getting beat in the process, a lot of mental and emotional abuse from her parents. Um, No positive experiences with them. Um, And she writes, It complicates my feelings because you're supposed to love and care for your mother and ask her all the questions women want to ask their moms. And on the days I feel I just can't take it anymore, all I want is a hug from my fucking mommy. Instead, I get to hug one of my cats. Hey, but at least your cats are predictable. Um, What are your deepest, darkest thoughts? I think about strangling literally sneaking into her home, my mother, until her eyes bulge out and her lips turn blue while screaming, why can't you fucking love me? What's so wrong with me? I think about telling all the people in my life uh, and that I encounter on a day-to-day basis what I cannot stand about them and all their weaknesses. I play it over in my mind exactly what I want to say and hoping it hurts them as much as it hurts me to put up with their weaknesses darkest secrets. I'm a closet functioning heroin addict and the only people that know are myself, my dealer and his girlfriend. I was off it for over 10 years and then relapsed 4 months ago. It's both frightening and exciting that I have this huge secret life that no one knows about. It's tiring too. Yeah, there is a there is a special adrenaline to the high when it's something that we're not supposed to be doing and and it's secret. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, I have fantasized, uh, this one's pretty graphic, um, uh, so fast forward if um, it involves some violence. Uh, I fantasized since I was 12 years old of being strung up and gang raped Caligula style by a never-ending stream of men and women, strangled, shocked beat against my will until the pain crosses over into pleasure and I have come streaming down my legs and screaming more, more, more. I've become more comfortable with my sexuality in recent years and don't feel that being attracted to men and women makes me a bad or weird person. It makes me feel that I shouldn't be so secretive about my sexual fantasies and that I should give into them more often, exclamation point. Absolutely, if it's with consenting adults and you feel okay about it afterwards. Um, or maybe even if you, I don't know, maybe even if you don't, I wonder what therapists would, would say about that. Um, I wonder if there are sexual fantasies where people, where they're, uh, where nobody gets hurt. Nobody's, uh, everybody's willing where there's shame afterwards but then eventually that shame goes away and it's something that can healthily be embraced in a non-addictive way by one or both parties one meaning if the person is you know masturbating i don't know that's an interesting interesting question i'm going to run that by herbert's butthole did i tell you guys that herbert's butthole is now uh licensed in the state of california <sighs> apparently the bar is very low very or or He's really good at studying. Uh, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my significant other that I'm a closet junkie and that I'm not the ex-junkie he thinks I am. That I need to get off of it again. But between my job and personal life, I feel I needed to cope and keep going that I need his help and strength to kick it cold turkey. I'm scared of the disgust he may have and that he would leave me in the gutter I deserve to be in for keeping this from him for so long. You know, my thought is it's going to go better if you go to him in a moment of vulnerability than it's going to be if he finds out. So, I don't know. And If you're a heroin addict, he's going to find out. I don't think there's a harder drug to hide than heroin. Maybe getting high on helium. That is a tough one. I wish I could do a helium voice. What are you doing in there? Nothing. That wasn't too bad. Um... Anyway, sending you some love, and I, I hope I hope you have a moment of clarity and uh, get back into recovery. Sad girl shares about her depression, uh, about her being bipolar. You can fly, you can't move. About being borderline or having borderline personality disorder. Um, cold, empty, endless. Beanie Boo writes about his PTSD. I'm not going to make it, pops into my mind with a feeling of utter powerlessness on a regular cycle. And he comments to make the podcast better. I'd like Paul to do the podcast in a tuxedo. I feel certain I'd be able to hear the effect of it in his delivery. No shoes, though. Here's the weird part. I've been doing the podcast in a tuxedo with no shoes. Since the very first show. Right now, I have a cane. I have a top hat. Even though I don't have shoes, for some reason I have spats. And I'm doing this cross-legged on a grand piano. Next to a pool. Shaped like Herbert's butthole. You might ask, what does that look like? It's a big pool. With a little pool in the middle. And the little pool in the middle... The bottom of it is painted pink. (laughs) Seriously, why do you listen to this podcast? Mockingbird shares about their codependency. Who am I if I'm not saving you? About their anger issues. Who am I if I'm not destroying you? Short and sweet. Profound. Thank you for that. Sullen artist shares a happy moment. When I started college in 2015, I was terrified I wouldn't make any friends. I thought I'd be alone for my entire college career. Last weekend, I went on a weekend trip to Louisville with two of my best friends and had more fun than I could have imagined I was capable of last year. I feel so incredibly blessed to have such wonderful friends and so amazed that I was so depressed two years ago. Anyone in the thick of it right now, please just hold on. It will get better. You will be happy. You can make it. Any comments to make the podcast better? I would love more younger guests, especially college-aged. Um, one of the problems with that is I just I don't hang out with college-aged people, and there aren't a ton of them in my support groups. Um, but if you're in the Southern California area and uh, you're 18 or over, uh, shoot me an email. Give me some broad strokes of your issues and what your story is. You know. at maybe a, a, a paragraph or two at most. Um, and uh, yeah, because I, I get a lot of emails from people that, that want younger guests. Trout Mouth shares about their anxiety, hoping nobody in this meeting has noticed that I'm dissociating and staring at the ends of my hair like my life depends on it, about being a sex crime victim, feeling like a tiny breakable object masquerading as an outspoken feminist. Wow. What a picture. Um, I apologize for this episode being so Herbert butthole heavy. Any comments to make the podcast better? Register Herbert's butthole as a third party candidate in the upcoming national election. Listen, I am not going to stop. I'm not even going to stop Get near the third rail of Herbert's butthole as a third-party candidate. You think people are upset with me now. If you were to hear how divisive Herbert's view on turkey treats are, double depresso. I'm so in my head right now. I am so... I've been getting really in touch uh, this week with how much, how uncomfortable I am with the fact that I can't control what other people think of me. And I know that was probably obvious to you guys from one minute into the first episode. Um, but I'm beginning to see now that, for instance, when I. I've noticed recently I made an an apology um to somebody uh, completely outside the show nothing to do with this and I realized as I was texting my apology to them that I should get in the left lane no I'm kidding I, I as I was texting them I I thought oh this isn't, this isn't a true apology because I'm trying to control what this person thinks of me. I'm trying to minimize the chance that they'll think of me as a bad person. I'm trying to prove to them that I'm not a bad person. And when I think about it, when I get an apology from somebody, what I want to know is that they put themselves in my shoes and thought about what it was like to have experienced What I experienced. And so I'm trying to keep that in mind when I apologize to somebody. That it's, stop fucking making it about me. Double Depresso shares about their depression, her depression. It's like a friendship you've outgrown, but are too afraid to replace. You don't enjoy its company, and you find it incredibly annoying. But you don't know what you'd do if it wasn't around. This is so, this is so fucking true. Uh, I any mean, comments to make the podcast better? I've noticed a lack of shame and secret surveys being read over the past few weeks. I found the darkness of them oddly comforting, and it would be nice if you could start reading some more of those again. I just have to um. I, I, you know, I think they're my favorite survey too, but I get really triggered sometimes reading them and, um, and sometimes I just kind of have to, to, to ease off. Caitlin writes about her sensory processing. Uh, I guess it's a disorder. She doesn't say, um, uh, Uh, She classifies it as a mental disability. Uh, It feels like to absorb anything, it needs to happen on a theater screen with all the lights out. Otherwise, I'm taking in the seats, the audience, and the movie and uh, come away with nothing. About having misophonia. Normal sounds feel like nails on a chalkboard and certain ones feel like an assault, both physical and emotional. Snapshot from her life. Um about her misophonia. One of my worst days was when I was at my grandparents and they slammed a door, my worst trigger. When this happens, I compulsively box my ears. It's horrible. I started doing it and walked out to my car crying because I had to get away from them. I then saw them through the window, huddled together, downcast. I felt my pain and their pain for me. Then the guilt that caused me it feels like having someone care about me only hurts them, but at the same time it feels like they're trying to take part in my pain, and that makes me angry like they have no right, such confusing feelings um and then she uh, would love to hear me interview someone with misophonia i would uh I would as well I would as well I think it would be a good a good topic I don't think we've had anyone with it can't remember i smoked so much pot in my day and barely remember the name of the show beanie boo shares a happy moment today the compulsive suicidal thought that plagued me for 20 years lost a lot of its power a switch flipped and it was somehow replaced by an encouraging compassionate thought i put it down to progress and therapy i feel like the world was ending and now it's not i also felt like i couldn't tell anyone so i'm telling you it's beautiful. Thank you. Any comments to make the podcast better? I'd like Paul to sample the products that that are sponsored on the show and describe the experience verbally as it's happening. I, I will try to keep that in mind. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Carlos. And he is straight in his 50s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um... Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I was held down on the floor by three brothers who took turns yanking my penis very hard for a long time. It hurt a lot. I was about 10. I don't know if I should file this under physical abuse or sexual abuse. It was typical of the torture my oldest brother would carry out on people, but it involved my sexual organs and being held down, so it seems to me to have some sexual component I'm not actively angry about this but I don't like or trust my oldest brother this happened 40 plus years ago Um, I don't think it matters where it's categorized I think what matters is how you felt about it then how you feel about it now and how you feel about your brothers and whether or not you respect uh, and listen to your body when you're around them if if you're around them um, but it's definitely abuse. I mean, fuck, that's, that's traumatizing. Um, he's also been, um, outside of that event, uh, physically and emotionally abused. Um, a lot of physical discipline, um, and his house, um, a lot of yelling, hitting, um, mom with a terrible, terrible temper, um, uh, Try to get as many surveys in as possible i'm i'm not I'm reading just some portions of of ones um he has a hard time believing that he has p t s d because you know he's never been in something as bad as as vietnam um and his doctor says you don't have to be in fighting a war to have p t s d which is absolutely true. Um, darkest thoughts he thinks about killing himself Um, darkest secrets my sins are pretty ordinary i'm not ashamed of some of them i'm sure they are i'm not sure they are sins or dark secrets for example in college i had a pretty strong crush on another gentleman um I don't know if I mentioned that he identifies as uh, as straight. Um, uh, this is forgivable because he was uh, really nice, uh, really handsome, and the residence building we lived in had showers that had space for two people at a time. Okay, that's not a deep, dark secret. Let's reclassify this as pleasant and nice memories that I never mentioned to anyone. I don't know why I thought of this now, and to be honest, I don't consider same-sex sex relations to be shameful. They're just different from hetero relations. I haven't committed any crimes that I can think of. I mean, there's one experience of drunk in college sex with a stranger. I was drunk. She approached me for sex. I've never done that again. I used to drink very heavily, but drinking faded away. I haven't drunk anything uh, for more than 11 years. My very first therapist asked me if I had sadistic sexual fantasies about women. I was 18 then. I don't, and I didn't then, but it bugged the heck out of me that she asked that out of the blue one day and assumed that I would say yes. I told her no. Um That is weird that out of the blue your therapist would ask that. I wonder if she was um bringing some of her stuff to the table. Um... I don't dream of that, and I really don't like any kind of sex that is mean or rough. Uh, I've heard that among college people and 20-ish people that many guys like to choke the women while they are having sex. That sounds absolutely horrible to me. I was married for 23 years. I loved my wife very much, so I have a hard time imagining wanting to hurt a woman in the name of sexual pleasure. My darkest secret, I guess, is that I have a masochistic sexual, I have masochistic sexual fantasies, not really horrible black leather and mask and bondage and pain fantasies. The kind, that kind of thing freaks me out, but I have less extreme fantasies of women doing things to me. Again, not involving extreme pain or brutality. One day out of the blue, I tearfully told my doctor that I had these fantasies. He basically said, don't worry about it unless it bothers you a lot. I have such fantasies much less frequently and less strongly over the recent past. It does bother me that I have such fantasies and yet also complain of a childhood when I was subject to physical abuse. Um, by the way, I've never acted on these fantasies. You know, I feel that I'm a very bad person, but in fact, I have, haven't have done horrible, dark things to anyone. Um, it, it It is not unusual that you had... Uh, physical abuse as a child, and you have uh, masochistic uh, sexual fantasies. That's actually, um, I think, to a lot of people who hear a lot of trauma and sexual fantasies and the correlation between the two, they would say that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. I heard somebody, uh, uh, somebody emailed me uh, recently, and they had read a book where uh, this therapist had said. Um, therapist or psychologist had said we fantasize often about what we fear and that made so much sense that made so much sense anyway I want to thank you for your um, for your survey and yeah you sound like a really good man Kills are good shares about his depression not being suicidal but also not giving a shit about my life oh my god everybody who can relate to that raise your hand actually i'm not in that place now but i've been there about his anxiety whenever someone is feeling down i wonder if it's my fault oh my god oh my god do i relate to that Snapshot from your life, laying in bed, knowing and worrying about the things I need to accomplish, but not being able to motivate motivate myself to roll over. Well, I'm better than you because I can at least roll over. So I got that over you. I'll, I may just lay there and hold my pee, but I can roll over. Richard Lambert shares about. By the way, I, I hope you guys are reading on this thing. Uh, give us your name or if you want to be anom- anonymous a fake name uh, these results will be available for others to see uh, but we do not collect any personal info on you not even your ip address i'm just always uncomfortable when, when somebody puts what sounds like it might be a real name um so i hope you guys know oh shut up jesus christ about his codependency always act. how fitting how fitting. Always act on what I think others want. Have no grasp on what I would want. Any comments that make the podcast better? I started from the beginning and I'm only at episode 15. So I don't know how it has improved yet. It has not. It has gone downhill. You would think... But it was going downhill already. You don't understand. We started at the top of a hill. It just seemed like we started in a valley. But Richard, if you hang in there, this is episode 301. You're on episode 15. That means you should hear this in about five years, which means it would be 2021. Well, I want to welcome you to the future, Richard. And I hope twenty twenty one is is treating you well. Uh I hope you keep you're keeping your jet pack in order, remembering to clean it. I hope you're uh I hope you're enjoying your Martian exchange students, staying with you for the summer. They can be a handful with their antennae. Uh And I think in 2021, I will probably still be doing live events. So please, if you could teleport to the next one, that would be awesome. I would love to grab a cup of coffee and see what you think of uh, the growth of my show. Maybe you don't drink coffee. Maybe there won't be any coffee beans by 2021. Maybe we'll be drinking space plasma. That sounded dirty. So in my head. So in my head. Oh my God, there's so many surveys left. All right. This is a happy moment filled out by Call Me Kate. Um,. After my dad, uh, I found the podcast, uh, funny story on its own, but another time, after my dad passed away this last May. This was such a deeply difficult time for me for a number of reasons. I had not been in contact with my family for many years. I was just coming out of a 10-year, very abusive, toxic relationship. My best friend and I had uh, had begun drifting apart. Basically, I had no support beyond that of my therapist. After the services and the interaction with my bat-shit crazy mother, I began slipping into a deep depression. No sleeping, no appetite, isolating, all the normal fun a depressive experiences when hit with a big emotional trauma. I spent my days off uh, straight watching porn, masturbating and picking my face. Full days, 10-12 hours spent, including... In only those three activities, I felt so gross, so disgusting. As I spent more and more time listening to the show, hearing stories, confessions, they washed over me like a warm blanket. Listening to other talk about porn addiction and sexual fantasies struck me so deeply. The more I listened, the more I found myself making what my therapist calls connections between people's fantasies and the abuse they experienced. My guilt and shame began to dissipate slightly. I took your advice and was totally honest with my therapist. That felt scary, but liberating. The thoughts and compulsions didn't carry as much shame when I walked out uh, her door that day. And then, last weekend, I was laying in bed to go to sleep, but feeling anxious. I was playing around, restless, on my phone, thinking to myself that I could listen to a show, maybe a meditation app, or I could watch porn slash masturbate. Then it dawned on me. I had not watched any porn in weeks. Weeks without it even being a conscious choice, just good old natural healthy behavior. I fell asleep with a small sense of personal pride and awareness that I was feeling marginally better Uh, and a small smile to myself knowing that I'm okay, will be okay. Thank you every listener who shared a story. Thank you every guest that pushed down their fear to advocate for all of us. Thank you. Oh, and Paul, fuck the haters, we have your back. And she would like to hear stories and benefits uh, and challenges of having a psychiatric service animal. So would I. That would be a good one, too. If you're in the SoCal area and you have one, contact us. I hope, by the way, that people that heard that last one, um, people that watch pornography, um, you you know that, that that wasn't a comment, you know, saying that pornography is bad. It's that it was compulsive for her, not healthy for her. Uh, if this isn't a Hall of Fame name, I don't know... What constitutes one? This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Grandma's Finger in My Ass. I hope you are listening in to this in a car at an intersection with the windows rolled down. That's right. Grandma's Finger in My Ass. That, by the way, in the 70s was one of my favorite beach drinks. You guys remember Grandma's Finger in My Ass. They'd... Uh, I think it was Kahlua with just an overripe banana sitting in it. So I want to go erase that. She is straight in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I've been in therapy for a year now, and I've been working really hard, and it's helped a lot. The safer I feel in therapy and with my thoughts, the more I remember about the redacted periods of my childhood. Uh, most recently, I put things together and realized I am a survivor of Munchausen by proxy, or fictitious disorder by proxy, as it's now called. After my dad died when I was five years old, my mother, classic narcissist, sent me away to live with my grandparents, and there my grandma took full advantage of having a little quote patient at her disposal. I'm I'm feeling incredibly terrible, by the way, about making jokes about the name you used. Um... But I guess you wouldn't have put it in there if you didn't have a sense of humor. All right, continuing. She used to work in a hospital but was forced to stop working after a bout of cancer, so I guess this was her way of gaining attention in a way that kept her dreams of being a medical professional alive. She would decide that I was constipated and insert suppositories as a first resort. She seemed to be obsessed with my butthole and apparently took every opportunity to put her finger up there. All the food she made was fatty, plus she loved giving me ice cream, chocolates, cookies, etc. If you don't eat all your food, you're ungrateful. So she feeds me all this junk and gives me fruit salts because I'm bloating. No, just lactose intolerant and ate a bunch of crappy foods. Then she took me to a dietitian because I was so fat and she just, quote, didn't know why. What could she do? Went back home, nothing changed, but she could tell everyone that she was doing everything right. But I was just a bad kid for being fat. At the same time, I seemed to have a lot of, quote, diarrhea and had to have bed rest with sponge baths, uh, in parentheses, from her at her insistence, and lots of disgusting electrolyte drinks. Um, this is so sexual abuse. And this is, um, from all of the people I have talked to, and know. Um, And from my experience, this is a really, really common way that female caregivers sexually abuse as they camouflage it within their duties as um, moms or grandmas or babysitters. And um, I, I don't there's paragraphs more of of stuff um and I'll just sum it up by by saying um your grandma is a very very sick person and what she did is fucking horrible and every bit as damaging as raping you every day um. It really sucks. It really fucking sucks. Um, I have loads of memories of taking medicine for one ailment or the other, but I don't remember ever actually being sick. I was constantly on antibiotics. She disinfected everything to hospital standards, including my hands with bleach after playing outside. To the outside, she seemed to be a super caring and loving grandma that would do anything for me, but when I think about it, I want to throw up because it all felt so creepy. She was just obsessed with the whole digestive tract and everything that could go wrong with it. As an adult, I have only a bit of hay fever and hardly ever get sick, something that coincided with me not having contact with them anymore many years later. I also never go to the doctor, even if I am sick, because I'm scared they won't believe me. My biggest shame is that because I was so young, I must have learned that being helpless and sick brings attention. And this learned behavior led me to be a bit of a compulsive liar as an adult. I've lied to many friends about things in my life, making up things that happened to seem more pathetic and worthy of their attention and sympathy and wanting someone to save me. Fucking embarrassing looking back on it. It's taken many years of self-reflection, lost friends, and therapy to realize that no one can save me from myself. There's nothing wrong with me physically anyway, LOL. And people are more inclined to be around and give you attention if you're taking care Care of yourself because everyone has their own shit to deal with, but the shame remains. Um thank you for sharing that. Darkest secrets. I would make up any story if I thought it would make you stay and feel that you needed to help me. I've never admitted this to anyone but my therapist, and I haven't lied about things in a while now. It's like it's hiding away under my skin, ready when I am to start again. Lying comes effortlessly to me. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, so do the feelings of guilt afterwards. Darkest thoughts. My darkest thoughts are of my whole family just dying in a plane crash or something all at the same time, so I would never have to deal with them again or explain to a new person why my relationship with them is so complicated. What about taking a break from your family? Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Anything that involves humiliation or me being forced to do something that I don't want to do, it makes me feel gross because I can see a link between these feelings and what my grandma did to me as a child. Um, Does this mean I actually liked it then? WTF? Disgusting. No. It's your brain trying to make sense of it. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my grandma that it should have been her that died instead of my grandpa. I feel that if she was dead, I would feel safer in the world, even though I'm an adult and she can't do anything anymore. Hey, you didn't specify that it had to be rational, LOL. What if anything do you wish for? I wish for a full recovery and I'm working hard to get there. Well, I'm sending you lots of love and good vibes and a hug. And don't ever minimize what happened to you. Don't ever minimize Because that is, you know, if I'm sure you guys have uh, heard the story of Sybil, Um, what happened to her, it was basically that. Um, And she dissociated, developed uh, multiple personality disorder, uh, dissociative identity, identity disorder. Um I hope you're I hope you're getting the the help and the compassion that you deserve. Skylar shares about uh her anxiety, stressing over not wanting to fail school but not having any motivation to actually go to school. A uh, snapshot from her life. I bought tickets to a concert I really want to go to and immediately start crying and hyperventilating, thinking of being around that many people, what they would think about me. I started obsessing where my seats would be, what I would wear, what's appropriate and comfortable and won't, won't make me stand out. How do I dance at that concert? Will my boyfriend have fun with me? Where can I get weed and alcohol beforehand to try to keep myself calm? I ended up telling my boyfriend to sell my ticket because I didn't want to have a panic attack at the concert. I hope that you can find a way to, um, healthily deal with your anxiety and your depression instead of alcohol and weed because it, it, uh, there's a good chance that, that might stop working or making it worse Jay shares about her codependency needing to hear from someone but not opening their texts for fear of not knowing how to respond thank you for that I'm sorry I'm I'm, uh, I'm slowing down here um Kind of on the fly editing. Harley Quinn shares a happy moment. The moments that I spend alone with my best friend are some of the happiest moments of my life. Whether we get food together or run errands or simply sit in the car and talk about anything for three hours straight. I'm 26 years old and have known her for over half my life but it's heartwarming to still feel shocked when I realize that a friend can know my interests and tastes so well. We've both dealt with depression for a long time so it's wonderful to take comfort in the fact that she understands when I cancel plans or don't text back for a while even if I feel like a shitty friend for it. The love of a best friend is truly incredible and it's something that I hope everyone can experience. I could go on and on but I will end it at that. Another happy moment? I work at a library and often have to call patrons to let them know that an item they requested came in. I love moments when I make a call to one of my favorite patrons and ask, Hi, may I please speak with so-and-so? And they guess who it is before I say anything else. It may be, be something small, but I love being recognized by only the sound of my voice. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Scott Brown shares about his... Gives, a snapshot of his depression and codependency, I spend at least an hour on the phone persuading my closest friend that suicide isn't the answer, and to make a call to the therapist as soon as possible. The very same day, I ignore a phone call from my g p that I arranged so I can get help myself. my god doesn't that doesn't that sum it up in a, a fucking sentence in a fucking sentence, and that's one of the reasons I think why support groups work is because. We can have so much more clarity about somebody else's experience than we often can about our own because we don't invest our view of what they're going through with fear and with it doesn't get filtered through history and trauma and all that other shit. I think I'm going to end on this one. This is a happy moment filled out by Katie, and she writes, I'm a junior in college suffering from major depression and anxiety. I had to drop from 16 credit hours to 10 credit hours just because of the constant anxiety about succeeding. I miss class some days because I'm physically unable to get out of bed because of my depression. I was feeling guilty about missing so much class and not doing so well that I thought I would email my teachers and let them know what was going on. The emails included me letting my teachers know how much I respect them and the class and that my mental health issues were proving to be more difficult to deal with lately, but I would try my best to improve. All of my teachers were gracious about it, but one teacher's response made me tear up. Come see me during my office hours. I want you to tell me what's going on, and I will personally help you find a counselor or therapist that works with your insurance so that you have the resources you need to be the best you. I've never witnessed a professor that cares this much for their students. That's beautiful. Thank you for that, Katie. And um, thank you guys for all the support you've been giving me this. uh, And, you know, even the people that disagree with me, thank, thank you, those of you that emailed me in a way that, um, was respectful. Um, because I can't, it's really hard to grow the podcast and expand it and expand my mind. Um, if, if you're coming at me in a way that's really loaded, um, because i do want to grow i feel like i have grown not only as a host but as a but as a person and you guys have helped educate me about so many fucking things these five years we've been doing the podcast and i so appreciate it um but i'm terrified you're not gonna like me i'm terrified i'm gonna make some huge mistake that's gonna destroy my life and i know i'm fucking bananas thank you for working with me and and being interested in what I have to say about you I mean that's what a fucking privilege that is that you guys care what I think and I hope if you're listening tonight and you're feeling in a really shitty place before the podcast started I I hope you're feeling a little better now and uh If you're out there and you're feeling like nobody understands, you're not alone. You're so not alone. Um, And help is always out there. We just got to take that scary first step of opening up to somebody. But it's never as bad as we make it out to be in our heads. And I'm so glad I did. 13 years ago, I'm so glad I said Actually, it was 16 years ago. Um, 13 years ago I got sober, but 16 years ago I went to see a psychiatrist because I knew I was going to kill myself if I didn't, and I'm so glad that I said I need help. I'm so glad. My life looks nothing like I expected it to look. I didn't want anything that I love now, If you would give me everything I wanted 16 years ago, I would be dead. If I'd gotten everything that I wanted. Because my soul would have just kept shriveling and shriveling and shriveling. And uh, it would have just always constantly been about me and in my pleasure. And I would have just been blind. Just lived the rest of my sad life blind if I'd never... Had to ask for help. So it can be the, not only can it be the best thing that ever happens to you by saying, I need help, but it can be the best thing for people that come into contact with you for the rest of your life. And um, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody up in I know some weird is way. bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely
1: beautifully fucked up in some weird way.